these weeks as we're working our way through 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul is dealing with the matter of giving. And he deals with the matter of giving in a very different way than a lot of times uh, we hear or um, when somebody's asked us to give, it's twisting an arm, it is pressure, it is coercion. Uh, from a Christian standpoint, uh, all of that is way out of bounds. Uh, we give because God has given to us. We give with joy, we give out of thankfulness. Uh, before Palm Sunday, uh, we had begun looking at uh, this text in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, and, and I want to come back to it uh, one more time uh, this Sunday before we, uh, before we move on. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15, here's the way the text reads. But as you excel in everything, and he's talking to the Corinthians, Paul is, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I've entitled the message this morning, Giving is a Matter of Fairness. The old story is told of a, of a man who had a heart attack and uh, was rushed to the hospital, as you can imagine. And uh, because the heart attack was uh, rather severe, the doctor said, don't want him to have visitors, uh, don't want to have you know, people crowding into the room. We need to keep him as quiet and calm as we can. We don't want him to get excited about anything. Well, while he was in the hospital, uh, a rich uncle of his died, man he was very close to, and this rich uncle left him a million dollars. Well, so his family is wondering, how do we break this news to him without him getting all excited and, you know, maybe something else bad happening? And so they decided they'd contact the pastor of the church. And they gave him the situation and said, could you kind of in as gentle and as easy a way, because he can't get excited... Uh, we want you to just break the news about uh, the death of the uncle and then, of course, about the million-dollar inheritance. And so the preacher said, sure, he would go. And so uh, he went to uh, the hospital, and he just started the conversation. And as sometimes we're sort of trained to do in a seminary, you gradually ease into the question that you're heading for. And so he just said, say, by the way, I've got a question for you, just a question out of the blue here. He said, uh, what would you do if you inherited a million dollars? And the man said, well, he said, I would give half of it to the church. And the pastor dropped dead in the hospital room. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. 
Last week we began looking at um, what this passage teaches us about giving. And uh, I mentioned, uh, or not last week, a couple weeks ago, right before Palm Sunday, I mentioned there were five basic truths about giving in this passage. We looked at the first four, and I want to focus on just the last one this morning. But just by way of, of quick review, the, the principles of giving are these. In verse 7, no matter what your spiritual gifts may be, you could have the gift of teaching, uh, the gift of mercy, the gift of encouragement. We all have spiritual gifts if we're believers. Whatever your gifts may be, and it, they're varied for each of us, Paul says you should desire to excel in giving. You notice verse 7, Paul says you have faith, knowledge, all these things he lists, and then he says see to it that you excel in this act of grace, this act of giving also. So whatever our gifts may be, seek to excel in the matter of giving. That was the first one. The second one in verse 8 is that giving is a proof for each of us that when we say, I love God or I love my neighbor, giving is an indication that it's actually so, that it's not just words. And so Paul says in verse 8, by your giving, prove that your love also is genuine, he says at the end of verse 8. And so giving is an indication, it's a proof that when we say we love others or we love God, that that indeed is so. The third one that Paul mentioned is in verse 9, and this is really at the heart of the text, is Christ's self-giving for us is the foundation, the example, the template, the inspiration for all of our giving. And you notice what Paul says in verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to explain it to you. That though he was rich, okay, coming from the glories of heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, he gave it all away, so that through his poverty, going even to the cross, giving away everything, losing everything, including his life, you might be made rich. That's the example of giving. That's the template. That's the central reason Christ's self-sacrifice stirs us to give. And then we finished a couple weeks ago with verses 10 through 12 that through um, that, that Christian giving is something never to be coerced. I mentioned this before. It is to be voluntary. And Paul says that in this text. He says you were eager, you had a desire to give a year ago when we started this project, he says in verse 10. Now I'm urging you out of that voluntary eagerness, like, yes, we're part of this. Now I'm just urging you to finish up what you voluntarily up front agreed to give. Um, match your readiness and your eagerness by finally following through on the gift. But Paul doesn't try to squeeze them for more. He doesn't say, you know, how come the dollar amount isn't higher? You agreed on a certain amount voluntarily, now I urge you just to follow through and give. Christian giving is always voluntary. It's never coerced. So if you're ever someplace and somebody's trying to twist your arm, guilt you into something, pressure you into something, that's not biblical. That's not Christian. Christian giving is always voluntary from the heart. Well, then I want to come this morning to the last three verses of the text. And the final principle is this. Through giving, Christians are to pursue equality among believers. Um, you notice in the last verses of our text, verses 13 and 14, that Paul says giving to those in need is a matter of, my version translates it as fairness. Uh, the Greek word is literally equality. That giving is a matter of achieving equality or fairness among believers. So you notice verse 13. Paul says it is a matter of fairness as he ends the verse. And then verse 14, he says, as you supply the needs of poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, he says that there might be fairness. 
That's an aspect of giving we don't oftentimes think about. But before we press on into what this means, that there is equality, that there's fairness when it comes to giving, look back for just a moment at verse 4 in the text, where Paul in verse 4 speaks about giving in terms of fellowship. And again, we don't oftentimes think of giving in that way. But verse 4, Paul is talking about the Christians in the province of Macedonia who had already taken up an offering for this project. And he says, they begged us earnestly for the grace of fellowship in the relief of the saints. Or my version translates it as taking part in or sharing in or participating in. But Paul uses that great New Testament word koinonia, usually translated as fellowship. And it does mean a sharing in, taking part in, participating. It's an active engagement with something, Paul says. And so giving, Paul goes on to say, is a powerful expression of what fellowship is. Um, but as I was thinking about that, uh, you know, how we've cheapened fellowship in the modern era. So you think about uh, how do you define fellowship? Well, okay, we've got this room on the south end of the building, the fellowship hall. So we, you know, we go to the right room. And uh, then we sit around the tables and have coffee and uh, donuts or treats or whatever it is. And we talk about stuff that ultimately doesn't matter in the end. Like farming or the weather or the Vikings or sadly some of you the Packers. Um, <laughs> So we, we sit around, so we sit around coffee and donuts in a particular room, and we talk about those things, and we say, that's fellowship. Well, from a Bible standpoint, no, that is not fellowship. Fellowship is defined everywhere in the New Testament as a heart-to-heart -heart engagement in ministry. It is an active word. It is a ministering word. It is not a passive word. And so uh, Paul wants us to understand, as he talks in verse 4, that giving is a part of fellowship, that giving is relational. There are other people involved. It's a heart-to-heart -heart sort of engagement with others. And, and as Paul pushes this further into our text this morning, the last verses, uh, Paul wants us to understand that giving is a matter of justice and fairness. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is writing in this text. The goal is not, as in Marxism, to take from the haves and to give to the have-nots. It's not, Paul says, you notice he says that in verse 13. It's not so that you give away so that now you're in a dire straits, so that others might be in better straits. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about, Paul says. Uh, in fact, if you help people in that way, what good does it do? If you impoverish yourself to help others so that you need help, nobody gets ahead anywhere. And so Paul says, that's not at all what I'm, what I'm talking about. So to the Corinthians, he says, if you relieve the poor people in Judea and you make yourselves poor, what is gained by it? What would be accomplished? So Paul isn't talking about a redistribution of wealth here in this passage. But there needs to be a fairness there needs to be an equality in the Christian church. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and part of the answer is found in Romans chapter 15, where in the chapter, Paul is talking to the believers in the city of Rome. He's not been there yet, but he's talking to them about this matter of the offering that he's in the process of gathering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice what he says in Romans chapter 15. I put the text here on the screen. Paul says, I hope to see you in passing, he's talking to the Romans, as I go to Spain. He's got a missionary trip to the far western edge of the Roman Empire. 
I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. He's hoping maybe they'll give him some supplies, maybe to pay for his boat ticket to go across the Mediterranean, whatever it is, but I'm hopeful you can help me on my missionary journey. And so he says, as I'm going to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So I'm not going to show up for a day and take off. I'm going to be there for a little while. Uh, at present, however, it's going to be a little while till I get there because I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Remember, the Christians in Judea and Jerusalem were poverty-stricken. They were persecuted. They lost their businesses. There was a famine, a lot of dire circumstances. So at the present time, I'm headed to Jerusalem bringing financial aid. Verse 26, for Macedonia, these are Roman provinces, for Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Don't miss those words. They owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. You notice what Paul says in Romans 15. Giving is never a one-sided matter. What does he say in this passage? He says, at the very beginning, what happened? The church in Jerusalem was incredibly generous. How were they generous? They sent out apostles and missionaries and other proclaimers of the gospel all over the ancient world. And so these missionaries came, they brought the gospel in every direction, and Paul here mentions the provinces of Macedonia. They brought the gospel to Macedonia. You have uh, in the New Testament the book of Philippians, the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Those were Macedonian churches. And they brought the gospel to Achaia, which is uh, where the city of Corinth was located, that province. And so as they sent out freely, as a gift... They sent out the gospel to you Gentile churches and you've received the gospel and your life has been changed. You're, you've been brought into the family of God. You've received great spiritual blessings. Now Paul says in return, the Gentile churches in southeastern Europe, which is where Achaia and uh, Macedonia are located, those churches are sending monetary gifts to them. So they're giving in return and Paul says indeed they owe it to them. Verse 27. And so Paul says the way that it should work in the Christian church is that those that have abundant supply in whatever way it is uh, should give of that abundant supply to help poor brothers and sisters in Christ because, as Paul says in our text, it's a matter of fairness. It's a matter of equality. And besides, Paul says, who knows in the future they may turn around and help you when you have a need. As I was thinking of how to illustrate this, I, I realized that right here in Botno is absolutely the perfect illustration of what Paul is saying. Let me tell you the story. Back in the 1940s, Pastor Olaf Olson from the Lutheran Brethren Church in Antler began traveling week in and week out to Botno. He began holding uh, Wednesday night confirmation classes, and uh, he confirmed the first class of three in 1949. If you want to see the picture, just go out these doors. On uh, all the pictures out there, top 
corner on the left is the confirmation class of 1949. Well, as he came to lead those uh, confirmation classes, there was a little group, small group, in Botno that said, uh, could you also conduct, for the little handful of us as adults, could you conduct a weekly Bible study? Could you conduct a prayer time? And so he agreed to do that, and so week in and week out, Pastor Olaf Olson from Antler came over here, and uh, that little group of believers in those days met at the old Church of God building at uh, 220 Omer Street here in town. Uh, that address no longer exists. It's now the north drive of the hospital. So when you pull into the parking lot of the hospital and you go down and you can go to the main desk and you can go to the clinic or the pharmacy, right where you pull into the drive, that's where the little Church of God building sat. And so from 1947 to 1953, a little group of believers met there. After 1953, moved to the Seventh-day Adventist building, still standing here in town, on a 10th and Omer. So what happened, as, as this process began, two churches, Antler to the west, and Ebenezer Lutheran Brethren Church in Roulette to the east, uh, did what they could to make this little struggling small group a success. And so Pastor Gaylord Jacobson, who was the uh, Lutheran Brethren pastor in Roulette, there at Ebenezer, and Pastor Joseph Arhus, who was the pastor in Antler, uh, alternated conducting Sunday services here in Botno. They had their own services Sunday morning, but then one would come the first Sunday night of the month, the next one the second, and they just alternate. And so worship services were held uh, Sunday nights here in Botno by the pastors of those two churches on each side of Botno. Well, after several years... On the 23rd of March, 1954, 14 adults out of that little group um, officially organized what they called Grace Mission Church here in town. And that little group organized because the church in Antler and the church in Roulette gave generously and sacrificially so we could get off the ground. Now, fast forward 70 years. As you know, in recent days, Roulette and Antler have been without a pastor. It was difficult for them to find one. They're now the smaller congregations. We're the big one now. And so as we see that, and they're small, their finances are more limited, we're the large congregation, and we see they've got no pastoral help. Well, what do we say? Hope it goes well. Hope you find somebody. We'll be thinking of you. Best wishes. No, Antler and Roulette, we would not be here without them. Seventy years ago, they gave in an incredibly generous way, so we have this congregation and these facilities which nobody at the beginning could have ever imagined. Seventy years later, we owe it to them. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans. We owe it to them. To help them. It's a matter of fairness for the, in the Corinthians text. It's a matter of equality. It mean, that's what it means to be a fellowship together. So what have we done? Pastor Dave for all the last year, I mean, he was over at Antler. He ministered to them. We sent him. We didn't have him teach adult Sunday school. Well, we need him for adult Sunday school. We're just going to hang on to him. No, Antler needed him. It's a matter of fairness. 
And so we sent him, we blessed him as he went to Antler to minister for a number of months until finally they were able to have a pastor. That's what this text is talking about. Rob has been in roulette for a number of years working with them on a Sunday, helping them out because it's a matter of fairness. We wouldn't be here if they hadn't sacrificially given to get this congregation on, off the ground. Now that we're the larger church and more finances, it's only, as, as Paul says here, we owe it to them. We owe it to them. So this is what Paul is talking about here in this text. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a perfect illustration of the theology that Paul is laying out here. I, I can think back to uh, the first time I went to Kenya in uh, 2011 to teach, uh, to teach pastors. And um, before I got to my opening lecture for them, I read to them from Romans chapter 1. And I read them these two verses verse 11 and verse 12, where Paul says to the Romans, he hasn't ever been there yet, but he says to them, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul says, I'm coming to Rome because I have something of value to give you. I'm a, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. I have something of value, something to impart to you. But, Paul says, realize it's not going to be a one-way street. Because I know when I come, I'm going to receive blessings from you in abundance as well. And so as I read that to the Kenyans, what I told them was, I said, I'm here to teach you the word of God. I'm here to give you uh, what I have received over the years. I, I trust that it will encourage you and help you in your ministry. But I said, I want you to understand you have something that's going to be valuable to me as well. It's a two-way street. And as I came back from Kenya that first time, my spiritual life was strengthened in ways I couldn't imagine. My heart was expanded. My faith was increased. My ongoing ministry here was enriched because of them over there. See, there's that mutuality in giving. Now, I came, I bought the plane ticket and went there and taught them, but they gave me something you can't put a dollar value on, but was incredibly valuable to me and to the whole team that went. And so when Paul writes to the Romans here, you as Gentile churches owe it to the Jewish saints in Jerusalem because they sent you the gospel in the first place. You owe it to them. Um, what Paul speaks about in our text, the examples that I've given, Paul says, so that in the end there might be fairness. There might be equality. This is what Paul is talking about. So again, he's not advocating some kind of Christian socialism. Don't misunderstand his words. Um, I like John Calvin's comments. Uh, the great uh, 16th century reformer, uh, commenting on um, this matter of fairness in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's what he says, and, and his words are, are right on target. He says, it's not wrong for the rich to live more elegantly than the poor. But, here's what he says, there must be such an equality that nobody starves and nobody hoards his abundance at another's expense. And so if I can paraphrase John Calvin, what he says is, some will have more, some will have less, but everybody will have enough. That's a beautiful paraphrase of what Paul is talking about here. So Paul calls on the Corinthians, he calls on us to give so that everybody has enough, if you will. 
Biblical equality, that's what it looks like. And Paul ends the text, you notice the last verse of this text, by quoting from Exodus chapter 16, a very famous story from the Old Testament. And here's the quotation. Paul says, I sum it up by this quotation, and everybody knew what story he was referencing. He says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Here's the story from Exodus 16. Let's read it. So it says, in the morning, this is the children of Israel in the wilderness, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer, which in our measuring would be two quarts worth. Uh, you shall each take two quarts according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. There's the quotation Paul draws out of the story. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Um, he was pretty clear, I think, in his instructions. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So Paul quotes this story in 2 Corinthians, in our text. And so the question is, how did this equality come about? Seemingly because everybody in the story in Exodus 16 shared. So the morning would dawn, the sun would be up, People would get up early in the morning, and each family was to gather enough for everybody in their tent, is the way Moses puts it here in the text. Now you think about it. So you're getting up, there's manna all over the place. Those who are teenagers, they can run and they can get bucketfuls, you know, in no time at all. Uh, those that are young and healthy can just gather, you know, right and left. But what about those who were infirm? What about those who were bedridden? What about those who had mobility issues? I guess they're out of luck, aren't they? But when all of it was gathered, here's what Moses says, when all of it was, was, was gathered, it was measured out in such a way that there was equality and there was fairness. Everybody had enough. Even those who didn't have the strength to gather it themselves, others saw to it, they had enough for the day. And so Paul's point is the Israelites, they're in the wilderness, they were one people of God, they were headed to the same destination, the promised land. And Paul's point is that we as Christians are one people of God. We are travelers through the wilderness of this world. We're headed to the same destination, if you will, the promised land, heaven, glory. And so we are then those that have lack and have need. We are to find ways to help them so that nobody lacks, nobody starves, nobody is in dire straits, and other believers don't do anything about it. And you notice here, and this is sobering at the end of, of the Exodus account, 
is that those who sought to hoard more than they needed, what happened? Their surplus was cursed by God. It perished. Let, let me ask you this question. J just answer it for yourself. What happens when we hoard what God has given to us to the detriment of others, to the detriment of the work of the gospel? What happens if we hoard our time, our talents, our energies, our resources, our finances? What happens to it when we hoard? And we don't manage what God has entrusted to us with fairness, if you will in mind uh, you think about it. i think about myself you're all like i am as sinful human beings we're not content with our two quarts a piece are we i want more i'm not going to share i earned this it's mine i have things i can do with it i'm not about to give away a significant amount to anybody or any cause no matter what it is but what does Paul say? So the Lord gifts us. Each one of us has gifts, talents, work that God has given us, income that he's blessed us with. Some have more, some have less. That's not the issue. Again, it's not socialism. That's not what Paul is talking about. But however God has blessed us, some much more than others, how do we look at it all? What do we, what do, we do with it? And why does God give us the skill to earn money, maybe to improve our economic circumstances, uh, to get a better job, all kinds of things. Why does God enable us along those lines? Let me show you a verse from Ephesians. Paul is talking about a specific example here about somebody who used to steal, but now has come to trust in Christ as Savior. But the principle that he gives here goes beyond the specific case that Paul is, is giving us here. Here's what he writes. Let the thief steal no longer but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that. How does the verse end? So why do we do hard, honest labor doing the best we can, earning as much as we can? So that I have more to save? So that I have more to spend? So I can increase my standard of living? What does Paul say? Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's why you work. That's why you earn more. So you can give away more. That's Christian giving. That, that's, that's kind of, that, that goes against our materialistic culture, doesn't it, in such a significant way. And, and what that surplus is, the Lord, it, it's individual. I can't say to you, here's what surplus looks like. It's for you, between you and the Lord, to determine what, uh, what that is. There's a book I came across uh, many years ago in graduate school. Uh, it's considered uh, one of the great uh, Christian classics of the church over 2,000 years. There are certain works that everybody says, this is a classic over 2,000 years history of the church. It's a book that was written in 1729, by William Law, who was an Anglican clergyman. And the book that he wrote, it was very influential on the Wesleys, who founded the Methodist Church. Uh, the, the title of the book is A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. It's a tough read. If you want to pick it up, it, it, it's a tough read. I, if you want to tackle it, I, I would challenge you, go for it. 
Uh, but in this book, he writes among many different things, what does a serious call to a devout and holy life look like? And he ends up talking about money. Oh no, there he goes. And what he says, and this is, these are his startling words, he says, keeping money from the poor is like buying poison for yourself. He says it will harm your spiritual life, maybe in the end even kill you off. Those are strong words, strong words to consider. And, and, and so what, what I challenge you with is, is when you think about what, what I have, what you have, what each of us has, your money, your possessions, your time, your talents, what are you doing with it? Are you hoarding it or are you sharing it? And what sharing looks like will be different for every solitary individual in this room. It doesn't look the same for all of us. But to ask the question before the Lord, am I hoarding or am I, as God's Spirit prompts me, sharing in various ways? And how I share may be different than how you share. How I use my possessions for God's glory, for the good of his kingdom, you may use them differently, but the Holy Spirit prompts us how to use them. And so is what I give, this is what I have to ask myself, is what I give marked by that spirit of equality and fairness, or is it what's mine is mine, I put my arms around it, and nobody's going to get anything of it. That's the spirit Paul is talking about here in the text. Just one more thought before I wrap this up. Uh, just turning from, from money for a moment, thinking about the use of, of time and talents. Uh, those of you that have been in, in churches for a while have heard the old statement, 20% uh, of the people do 80% of the work. Um, and, you know, th that's just a, a saying, that's just a, a statement. But what I found over the years is when it comes to any congregation, um, it's a smaller group of people, usually, that carries the bulk of the work and the ministry. While the majority maybe does very little, sits on the sideline, whatever it is. And the question that Paul would challenge us with in this text, is that fair? Is that equitable? Is that equality? So I want to challenge you in that way as well with your time and talents. Are you hoarding them or are you sharing them in a generous way. Jesus makes this statement. He says, the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. I guess nothing new over 2,000 years, is it? Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into his harvest field. And so my, my challenge to you this morning is when you think about this matter of giving and this matter of equality, this matter of fairness, that Paul mentions twice, what does that look like for you? I can't tell you. I would be arrogant and out of place if I said, this is what it means for you. This is between you and the Lord. What does it look like for you to live out what Paul is talking about here in our text? And my prayer is that when it comes to giving, that it would be just the grace of God in whatever it is, that God's grace, the presence of Jesus Christ, would just stir your heart. Whether it's your time, your talents, your resources, whatever it is, just stir you to give willingly, to stir you to give eagerly, to stir you to give generously. And when each one of us is responsive to the Holy Spirit, there's enough to go around. Ministries are supplied, ministry goes forward, uh, missionaries are financed. I mean, all these things happen when each one of us says, Lord, what does this look like for me? Am I gathering like eight pots of manna and hoarding it all for myself? Or am I gathering enough so that those who can't gather, I can share with them and help them as well? That is our text. And these are Paul's words this morning. 
And so indeed, may the grace of God stir each one of us that when it comes to giving, that matter of equality, that matter of fairness is part of what the Holy Spirit speaks to us about. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, when it comes to to giving, uh, none of us by nature are giving people. I'm not. Um, we, we all, we, we've earned what we have and we can think of all kinds of things we can spend it on. We all do. Uh, but Lord, uh, you've called us to consider there might be those less fortunate. There might be ministries that have needs. Uh, there might be missionaries who need help. There might be a poor neighbor down the street uh, who needs some resources for whatever. Lord, even thinking of refugees from Ukraine coming here, what does fairness look like? Uh, How do we minister? How do we give out of what we have so that others might have enough? All of these things are are significant for all of us. And so, Lord, just speak to each one of us individually about what this might look like and that in all things we would seek to bring honor and glory to your holy name. Thank you for your mercies to us. You have given in abundance and you keep on giving. Um, And so, Lord, may we then catch on to that for ourselves that as you continue to freely give to us, life, health, business, finances, opportunity, may we take of that which you've entrusted to us so graciously and use it as we see needs around us. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.